Welcome, everyone. This is episode 40 of our World of Lifting podcast. And today, our special guest is Tara Hansen. She's a former Division Three track and field athlete for SUNY Oswego, and she is now a powerlifter. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. For sure. Thanks for, for agreeing to join on. Anyway, uh, we got to start with how did you get into powerlifting? Um, it's a bit of combination of I've always been into lifting and a bit of my friends kind of um, rubbed off on me. So during lockdown, um, like the first week of lockdown, I didn't really know what I was going to do um, as far as like workout wise. So I was kind of just, I started off with um, just like body weight stuff, like going to the track every day. And my friend came up to me and said, uh, another kid that we went to high school with, he had like a garage gym. Um, and he said, if I like contributed to the gym, I could work out there during quarantine. So I was doing that and him and the other guy, uh, the one whose gym it was, they were following a powerlifting program. So the days that they would squat, I would squat the days that they would bench, I would bench. Um, so I kind of was like following along with them, but I was making up my own workouts. Um, and after a while, I started seeing like my numbers improving just by doing it twice a week. And I kind of just fell in love with it through that. Um, and then when I was at Cortland, um, pretty much everyone there is a power lifter. And I always would watch them lifting like really heavy weights. And I was like, wow, like that looks so cool. Like I want to do that. But I never really gave it a chance. I never really hired a coach. I was kind of just... Um, I guess intimidated by it at first, but then when I actually like gave it a chance, I really fell in love with it. Yeah, the powerlifting community is very welcoming because uh, if you've ever seen a powerlifting meet, um, like you could be deadlifting 95 pounds or 800 pounds. Like it doesn't matter what the weight is. If you start grinding, everyone in the crowd wants to see you succeed. They're going to start screaming, get up, get up, get up. All, even the referees, I think. I'm not sure, but it's, it's a great community to be a part of, you know? Yeah, I'm really excited to start this new chapter of my life. And so far, everyone that I've met that's a powerlifter, they've only been anything, like nothing but nice to me. Um, even at the gym that I'm not at now, um, these two people that I didn't really know, but I knew that they were like powerlifters, they kind of came up to me one day and they were just like giving me like tips and stuff. And it, it was really helpful, and I'm appreciative that they were so willing to help me out, um, even though I was a complete stranger to them. So the community has definitely been extremely welcoming, which I really enjoy. For sure. So you, um, it's a, you said it's a new chapter in your life. So you said before the podcast that you were a former Division Three track athlete. So talk about that. What, what was that like? Um, so I first got into track when I was in sixth grade. Um, I was only doing it because my friends were doing it. I didn't really, um, I didn't really care for running that much. Okay. I just wanted to be with my friends as much as possible. Um, so I did that for, um, I think, two years in middle school and then four years in high school. And in high school, I was kind of all over the place as far as event-wise. So I actually started out as a distance runner. 
my freshman sophomore year of high school yeah and then it transferred into hurdler slash pentathlon um slash like thrower for junior and senior year um wait pentathlon what is that that's uh yeah so it's yeah it's five events it's hurdles long jump high jump um 800 meter run and shot put holy moly that's insane and the the thing about doing the pentathlon is it's somewhat structured the same way a powerlifting meet would be so you get three attempts at each event okay um i haven't competed in powerlifting yet but i did a little bit of research and i um i saw that's how it's structured you get three attempts at each and then you get a little bit of time um, in between each lift. I mean, and yeah, powerlifting meet, I mean, track, you probably have experience. Track meets, are, they run the whole day, right? Yeah, very yeah. long day. Yeah, you'll, you'll have, it'll be fine because powerlifting meets, they, they're weirdly organized and they're going to be running the whole day. Like, especially in a like, sanctioned meet, like you'll be squatting maybe at like, I want to say like 11 a.m., and then deadlifts will probably start at like 6 p.m. or something. It's depending on how many people are in in, the, in a flight and how many people sign up for that meet. It's a uh, it's a big cluster, but uh, definitely enjoyable. You meet a lot of fun people there. So uh, let's see. So you so your main event uh, I think we talked about before it was a javelin throw. Yeah. So I didn't start throwing javelin until my um, college days. So freshman sophomore year of college I was still a sprinter slash hurdler um and then junior year I think I went up to my coach after trying javelin and I was like hey like I really like doing this um can I just focus on that instead of doing all these other events and if I could just focus on javelin give it my all and it was like yeah sure like we'll do that so that's kind of how I like transitioned from a distance runner from middle school to a thrower in college. So what, what about the training in javelin? Um, kind of like translated to powerlifting because javelin throws, uh, I don't even know what, what a javelin is. It's like a spear. It's like a spear. Of? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I would imagine it's very explosive with all the, the way you have to run up and toss it. Yeah. So javelin, it's more about, technical work than it is about actual um strength i mean obviously strength plays a part into it but with javelin if you like turn the wrong way if your arm is like um too up or too down the angle of the javelin is um it's not going to go like the that far so um it's yeah it's way more technical than it is strength yeah i mean I think for shot put is the same. I mean, I've tried shot put before. Um, I didn't stick with it for very long, but uh, I heard like you can, like, like you could break an arm if you if you uh, throw it the wrong way or something. Something crazy. Shot put. I've never heard that one before. Yeah, they they just told me that I'm not supposed to throw it like a baseball, and you're supposed to. Like, oh, I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, someone that hasn't that has never thrown shot put your immediate thought is to throw it like a baseball, but if you throw it like that, you're going to break your elbow. How though? Like in what way? Like it snaps? Like it's, 
it's just too heavy for your arm to throw it in that way. You need to have the shot put up against your neck and push it. You're not like really throwing it like a baseball. You're just pushing it off of your neck. Yeah, so it's like a press kind of, right? Yeah. Like an overhead press. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the strongest guys I've ever known in high school were all shot putters. They were, they were huge guys. They, and like, they were like, I don't know what that technique is called when you spin, uh, to like get gain momentum for to throw the shot um but i i always like i i look at them and i think they can't move because they're, they're just so big but then I, when i see them throw the shot they're just so the, the way they move is so graceful like when they turn yeah. into it i don't know what it is but i guess it's like that's also technical as well yeah it's also the shoes too um for shot put if you are throwing it in um the spinning motion you want to have um soft well, not soft, but uh, smooth shoes to help you glide. And you're if throwing on your, is it on, it's not dirt, right? It's uh, kind of like sand, kind of? I don't For shot put, you would be in like a concrete circle, but oh, javelin, okay. it's kind of, it depends on where you're competing. Like there's been uh, plenty of meets where I've competed on a runway, um, there's been meets where I've like competed on grass and it was raining the night before and it turned into like a mud pit. Oh no, that sucks. So yeah, there was actually one meet, um, the meet that I was talking about with the mud. Um, I ran up and as soon as I planted my foot, my foot slipped from underneath me and the javelin went like a foot. Oh and I fell. God. Yeah. And then I was covered in mud for the rest of the day. That... That's like um, like the Julius Maddox incident, if you if you know what happened with him, uh, that 800-pound bench presser. Like, everything goes correct in his training. The prep is good. And then on meet day, the loaders messed up the weight. Like, they loaded, like, one plate off or something, something crazy. Yeah, like, I remember watching that video, and I felt really bad for him. I felt bad for powerlifting, to be honest, because it was on ESPN, like, at the absolute and, worst time. That was the worst timing ever. And yeah, I asked the guy I the guy who spotted him, he was on this podcast and yeah, it was it was just a bad time. But anyway, back to, to track. Um the javelin, what is a good distance when you when you throw it? Um if we're talking about nationally qualified, I think for women at the D three level, it would be around like forty meters. So that's like 120 feet, right? Like I know one meter is like three feet, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so 100, 120 feet. So what, what was your best? I think my best was 25.5 meters. So it was like meters, so long. 40 yeah. meters is like Yeah, Olympic I was level? considered like average. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wasn't like elite. I never went to nationals or anything. Oh, you talking about like um, Division Three nationals? The, the yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's what the qualifying standard is. I could be wrong, but okay. But yeah. So what's like the difference between like D three and D one? I would imagine that competitiveness is is insane. Yeah. I think if I had to guess. 
Division One qualifying would be like seventy-five meters. Oh. Yeah. Seventy-five. That's. Yeah, I mean, D three. I I know. Actually, I you might have to fact check me, but. Yeah, I mean, what's the, what's the practice time like? The commitment for each week for Division three. It's like. It would be the same as um, any other sports team. You know, you go in six days a week. Um, practices typically run for about two hours. Um, depending if you have lifts that day, it could go for three hours. Because I know um, Division One, it's like a completely new ball game. Because, I mean, Division One athletes, they a lot of them make it to the Olympic level. And the the practice time, I would imagine, is like close to, was it 50 hours a week or something? I don't know, something crazy. It might be, but um, from my experiences at the D3 level, we, if this was um, during competition season, it, we would train from Monday to Friday. And then typically your meet would be on Saturday. Okay, well, yeah. at a competition, this is similar to powerlifting as well. Being, being able to be in a good mental state. So what went through your head before throwing the javelin? Honestly, I had really bad anxiety. Like before any sort of competition, I'd always like overthink it or um, just get like really anxious. Um, even like for all three attempts too, it wouldn't just be like the first throw and then I would kind of like come down from the high. It was like after each throw, I would... Um, or before each throw, I would just get like really worked up. Um, in a way, it, it did kind of help because it put me in like the competition mindset where um, I had to take this like really seriously. But there were times when, you know, I let it get the best of me and I didn't have like my best days. Yeah, you need a certain amount of anxiety to help you like do well in sports. But like, like you said, if, if it's too much, it like consumes you like Usually in powerlifting, the most important lift of the competition is your first one. And like, and like the powerlifting uh, like environment is like, it's very good. So like once you get your first meet, uh, first, um, first, first attempt down, you have momentum for, for the whole day. Cause if you fail your first one, then you're like, oh no. Like then you start to overthink and like, maybe I'll fail my second one. What, what was the depth? Do I need to squat deeper? Do I need to? Do I need to like uh, plant my plant my heels in a different way? It's just then it just doesn't go well. But yeah, you ever you ever do like meditation or yoga, or some something like that to help you out? I do yoga like in my free time, but I never really did it during um, my track days. Because med meditation, I know like you because powerlifting we do this. I do this thing uh, for like visualizing. Like if, if I have like a big lift tomorrow, say I want to deadlift like 600, I have to see myself lifted in my head a couple thousand times before I do it. Like, oh, okay. I've done that before. Like you manifest your own success. Yeah. Cause I mean, it, it sounds cliche, but a lot of people, they don't, they don't realize how powerful your mind is. You know, if you, your mind lifts it before you do, like before your body does it. So it's, I think it's very important to be able to have like some sort of ritual or some sort of, you know, words that you say to yourself to like put yourself in a, in a mindset where you're for your, for your success and 
whether it's lifting or track, you know, because uh, I did a podcast uh, recently. We talked about George Lehman. Do you know George Lehman? Uh, no. Okay, so he's a former, former or current, I forgot, but he had the American deadlift record at one point. And his, his uh, strategies was um, he had a pretty hard childhood. His, I think his little brother died from, from some sort of, I think, cancer or something. And oh, that's really- he, he talked about how every lift was for him. So he's like, I, I, if I lift it, I can bring him back to life or something. I forgot what, what it was, but he, he always went to a very dark place before his, his lifts. And I think he even cried before, before his lifts. And before he pulls it, he thinks about his brother and then he gets it up. It's, it's definitely one of the more stranger ways for preparing. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. I'm surprised I've never heard of that story. I mean, yeah, I mean, usually, I mean, I'm, it's very rare that I, I don't know if it's rare, but like it's, a lot of powerlifters are very aggressive. You know, that's most common, I think. You know, they, they scream before they 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 walk up to the bar, before they deadlift. Or they'll, yeah, you know. To that yet. I mean, like, what do you do before before a big PR? Um, I kind of just throw on, like, my favorite music, and I just hype myself up. I don't really um scream at the bar. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll... Um, start doing that before I um, do like single singles I mean at, at your first powerlifting meet I don't know because I was never a screamer in uh, when I was a powerlifter but like during my first meet like this the energy was so good like I was like all right you know what I'm gonna get super aggressive and just yell out something before I do, before I do my last deadlift because you just take in that energy like everyone is like standing up for you like just trying to get you to, to to lift better it's it's a great community yeah i guess i have something to look forward to especially at Cor- well you graduated from Cortland already right um so i have one more semester i'm taking my classes online um because of the whole covid thing i didn't really want to go back and physically yeah. be at school covid's a weird thing because they they never released any like strategies to keep yourself keep your immune system strong. Um, I know it's like the mask and uh, social distance, but uh, I mean, lifters are fine. And, you know, I think it's like vitamin D and lifting, getting enough sunlight and I forgot what else, but they never released that into the media. Um, that I had a problem with, but I don't know, but I know. Yeah, I think it's that there were more protocols for taking care of yourself rather than, um, just wearing the mask, like obviously the mask helps, mm-hmm. um, but to an extent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyway, um, I know you wanted to talk about uh, your marathon, uh, your whole 20, what is it, 26.2 miles or something? Yeah, yeah. So what was it like prepping for that? Um, I didn't really prep for it, in all honesty. Um, the only reason I got into it was because during the summer, my friends kind of came to me and they were like, oh, like, do you want to do a half marathon? I was like, yeah, sure. Like I can probably get away with maybe training twice a week for that while still lifting heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the day came around, I did it. It was pretty tough, you know, 13 miles for someone that was a thrower for the last two years of her college career. 
Um, and honestly, as soon as I finished, I was like, you know, like I'm halfway there. I might as well just continue to train and just do the whole thing. So then two weeks after my first half marathon, I um, spontaneously signed up for a second half marathon um, because my coworker, he, I think he told me about it like two or three days before and it was local. So I just like signed up online. Um, I showed up and I just did it. And then two weeks after that was the marathon um, that I signed up for, I think a month before with my other friend, she's like uh, crazy into marathons. She ran nine before. Um, so I like went to her and I was like, Hey, like, do you want to run this with me? I'm definitely gonna need help. Um, and she like runs all the time. She runs with her parents or her parents have done like hundreds of marathons. Um, so I think it was in November. We, I think, Oh, two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago in November, we got there and it was in Philly. Um, and it was a really big race. There was like, I think at least a couple thousand people doing it. Um, and the atmosphere was just like nothing but support. There's people lined up all the way down the streets, just cheering you on. Um, I don't know. It was just like a indescribable feeling just going through the streets and these people, these strangers just cheering you on. Um, and at mile 19, they hand you a beer. So I was really looking forward to that. Wait, where? Mile 19, like the mile marker, they hand you a beer because it's like liquid carbs. Really? Wait, at yeah. which mile? At the end or? Uh, 19. Oh, ni really? So did you drink it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I grabbed it. I was like, I need this. I deserve this. I mean, I have a professor that does, um, what's it called? Ironman triathlon crazy stuff, but I, I think he told me during marathons there's like this there's like this big tent that you like run through and there's like a bunch of cups of water or something Is that oh yeah there's there's um there's water cups along i think every two miles i guess it depends what marathon you're doing and like who sets it up but typically there's water stations at every two miles but like for yourself do you ever like do you, are you supposed to bring something to eat while while you're running this 26.2 miles you can, you can have, uh, like, I had a little fanny pack. I think I put, um, like, the goo gels in there. Is that, like, electrolytes or something? Yeah. Okay. So, like, whenever you feel tired um, or you need, like, a boost of energy, you just, like, take it out of your fanny pack and you take it. Um, I've, heard, I've heard, like, um, you have to learn, like, what's, what, sits, what sits well with your stomach. Because I heard, like, people, when they just eat the wrong thing, they just, that first mile, they just vomit or something. I don't know. Yeah, so I wouldn't eat anything that you um, wouldn't eat, like, during um, training. So if you're eating, like, pasta the night before and you know that it, like, upsets your stomach, then don't do that the day of the race. So just don't do anything out of the ordinary, pretty much, for race day. So what is – I don't even know what carb loading is, but, like, I know a lot of runners do it. What is that? Um, you just, I think two or three days before you just eat a ton of carbs. Um, I did that the night before we went out to like Italian restaurant. And Does that it's supposed to help. Did you feel a difference? Not that I felt a difference, but, um, 
don't know, I felt, I felt the same as I normally would. I mean, the, I would imagine by like the morning time, you're all digested and stuff. Like, I mean, unless you're like, you, you still have glycogen in your system and I guess that's how it works. I'm not sure, but. Yeah, I've heard um, both sides where it doesn't actually work and where it does. So I don't know which one I believe, but I still did it. It's a, Just I mean, Italian food's great. It's a great excuse to, to like pig out for a marathon. Yeah. I mean, I didn't go overboard, but definitely had a nice bowl of pasta. All right. Well, so, I mean, what, what, what was it like passing that finish line then? What were the feelings? So I think it was mile 23. I started feeling like emotional. Um, just cause like I've never physically or mentally, um, pushed myself to that. And during my training, the furthest I ever ran was the half marathon. So, uh, after mile 15, it's kind of just like, oh, I've like, I've never ran this much before. Like, can I actually do it? And there was a couple of people that actually didn't think that I would be able to finish just because, um, of how bad my training was, you know, I, I they doubted um, you. How yeah, they did. They did doubt me. They were like, oh, like, you're going to get hurt. Um, whatever. You're going to have to get like carted off to the side. But uh, thankfully, I didn't get hurt and I was able to do it. But mentally, at mile 23, I was just kind of like checked out. I like started like tearing up a little bit. Um, just because like, at that point, you're just like, I just want to stop running. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and that's why I had my friend Kara run it with me because I knew towards the end it was just going to be almost impossible to do by yourself so she was there like uh right next to me like cheering me on like saying like oh like we're almost there like um when we get to the water station like we can stop and walk a little bit um but when I saw that finish line I like sp I sprinted I sprinted because I didn't want to run anymore so it was like yeah. the faster I get this over with I could just lay on the ground. And when I crossed that finish line, I just started crying. Oh, really? Just full of emotions and stuff? Yeah, it was really emotional. Um, just a really big accomplishment. And I can't believe that I ever did it. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the reason why gyms fill up in January and then they, they empty out by like March or something is because they, they set a goal. January 2020, I'm going to, lose weight i'm gonna lose 20 pounds and i'm gonna get fit i'm gonna get six-pack abs and you know i'm just gonna you know have some muscles or something and then they just give up in like two months so like, i guess the emotional part is like you you were able to like see that goal to the i guess <laughs> to the finish line pun intended yeah and I'm, I'm also the type of person like if i set my mind to something like i'm gonna do it i'm not gonna quit like regardless of what barriers i'm faced with like i'm gonna i'm gonna do it and with the marathon, um, I've always wanted to do it. It was always on my bucket list. Um, and I told myself after I graduated um, and I was done running for Oswego, I was going to eventually do one. But I didn't know how soon I would get to it. Um, so, yeah, that was also another thing that was kind of, like, pushing me. I'm like, oh, I just, I just want to say I've ran a marathon because less than 1% of the population has completed one. So I Are thought you it was serious? Cool. Yeah. Only less, less than one percent. Yeah. Of like the states or like the world. The world. Oh damn! I didn't know that. 
Yeah, and I'm I like, oh, I always wanted to see that. That's why I wanted to do it because yeah. I want to say I'm part of the one percent. That's insane. Only less than I mean, I I mean, twenty six point two miles is a hell of a distance, but uh, yeah, I didn't know what less than one percent. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, during the whole course, was it just flat ground? Was there any hills or anything? Uh, Philly is, it was pretty flat. It was just through the city. Um, there might have been like slight hills, but for the most part, it was flat. And that's why I chose it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I hear of like courses that like, they're like on dirt or something. They're just crazy terrain. But yeah, I mean, when you look back on this, like, no one's going to care. Like, you, they're not going to ask you the conditions. They're just going to, hey, she did a marathon. You know, that's less than 1% of the world. Yeah. I mean, my time wasn't elite, um, but I did set a goal to finish it under five hours. And we finished it at four hours and 58 minutes. Oh, man. So I beat it by two minutes. Was there like a time limit that they set? Um, not that I can remember. I'm sure there is one. I just, it was so long ago, I can't remember. Four hours and 58, wow. That's a lot of running. I just, yeah. Wait, so what time did they start then? That was like sharp in the morning? Yeah, like 9 a.m. we started. Now that I have perspective, like four hours and 58 minutes of running, that's insane. I can't. I think the most I've ever ran was like four and a half miles and I was dead after that. Yeah, I can't imagine running four more hours. That's literally yeah. insane. Uh, like, what, what was what was the the post marathon meal like? It was probably like a whole feast. Yeah, I had a nice burger and fries. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's justified. Twenty six point two miles. Yeah, and then I think the next day I slept for like fourteen hours straight. Yeah, yeah I like woke up in the afternoon. I'm like, what time is it? <laughs> My body was just so tired. Yeah, it, there's, what is it called? Like, uh, not catabolic, but it's like, I don't know how, how muscles work in running. Like, do they still tear? Like, micro tears and then they grow or something? That's still, it still works like that, right? Yeah, you can get micro tears. Um, I definitely couldn't walk straight the next day. Yeah, I mean, I remember getting a lot of shin splints back when I was a wrestler, just doing a lot of sprints. But, uh, yeah, that that was not fun. Anyway, your followers here, um, we made you post a little Q&A sticker here, um, and you have a bunch of questions here. Um, this question from lucidwill underscore 23, misconceptions about lifting heavy for females. Right, so a lot of girls, um, they tend to shy away from lifting heavy weights because they think it's going to like make them look bulky or make them look um manly but the truth is women don't create as much testosterone as men do so we're not going to gain lean muscle mass at the same rates as men um you would have to lift heavy six days a week for years to even achieve something to, if you wanted to look bulky if that was your goal but if you add like two or three days of um, weightlifting into your routine, you're not going to look manly. Yeah, I mean, they, people use that as an excuse and then they don't do anything else or they'll just like be on the treadmill for like an hour and be like, I'm, I'm done for the day. 
a lot of people don't know about the the health benefits of just lifting a barbell, you know, like a properly executed deadlift is like one of the best things for your back. Like, I can't stress that enough. People, I mean, a lot of people probably think this is crazy, but like, cause I mean, everyone thinks deadlifts are bad for your back. I mean, I had a friend that has a spondylolisthesis, which is like really bad back, back condition. And with like consistent deadlifting for years, he, the pain's gone. Like he oh, wow. muscle around the spine and he was able to like get, like he, he like avoided surgery. He avoided like all kinds of crazy like braces and all that just through movement. And to your point, yeah, you're not going to look manly if you, if you lift, like unless you're on testosterone. And yeah. Like a women's Olympia pro bodybuilder, IFBB pro, that's a different story. I think that's what everyone looks at, right? Yeah. They look at those pictures and they're like, wow, like if I start lifting, like I'm going to look like that. And I'm like, no, like you've only been lifting for like two weeks. It's not going to happen. Yeah, you have to be absolutely obsessed to be able to, to get to that level. And you need to diet so hard to, to be able to get that muscular. I mean, alongside with the steroids, obviously. I mean, right, right. That, I mean, like you said, um, girls naturally don't have as high of a testosterone level as men. So if you're not supplementing with any testosterone, I don't know, you're not really going to look like Ronnie Coleman as a woman, you know? Yeah. All right, this question from antsgamble.ceo. He says, what is the one food that you can't go without? I'd have to say grilled chicken. I know that sounds boring. Really? Yeah, but if you, like, when I think about it, I eat grilled chicken, like, five times a week. I, like, put it in all of my meals, and it's just, it's just easy. It's easy to make. You can dress it up a little bit. You can put it in, like, a salad. You can put it in a wrap. So that would be my boring answer. If I wanted to have a fun answer, it would probably be like ice cream because I have yeah. a really big sweet tooth. Um, I try not to go crazy, but once in a while, I'll definitely treat myself to like cookie dough ice cream. Yeah, I think that's what he was talking about. Yeah, uh, like, I know. Like a cheat, cheat food. But yeah, like I know cheat, cheat meals. Uh, what's the rule with it with bodybuilders? Like once a month or something? I forgot. But, uh, I think it's the 80-20 rule. So if you, ate, if you eat good 80% of the time, you can have cheat meals 20% of the time. That's what I heard. So, like a cheat meal like two times a month? Two times, okay. I mean, I've seen like the cheat, the che I mean, have you ever seen Dwayne Johnson's uh, cheat meals? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's like sushi. Uh, I mean, he has like what? at least like 40 50 rolls in there like he's crazy yeah that's like overboard with cheat mail i mean he's a big dude but yeah yes. all right i don't know how to pronounce this usernames underscore l underscore dot bk official dot underscore l underscore oh BK. BK. he said where do you see yourself in five years oh in five years i would like to be working as an athletic director for a division one school. Um, that's my dream job. So hopefully by five years, I'll have that job. Um, I also want to be a homeowner in five years. That's a big one. 
what about being an athletic director is uh, what makes you want to push so hard to get that job? I am just, I've always been really passionate about um, collegiate athletics. Um, I'm getting my master's right now in sports management. So that's hopefully going to help me um, put me above the, put me above other applicants for the job. And I just like, I like being the boss. I like being in charge. And I think I do really well in leadership roles. So athletic director is the perfect job for me. So were you like team captain in your high school days or college days? We actually didn't have captains my junior and senior year of college. Why not? I forget what the reason was. It wasn't like captains. It was just like um, team leaders. So whoever like wanted to step up to the plate kind of did. And I was definitely one of those people um, that kind of like took on a leadership role and people looked up to me to do the right things and work hard in practice. Yeah, if someone was slacking off in practice, you'd be the one yelling at them? Yeah, just work a little bit harder. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's probably like the the uncensored ver I mean, uncensored version. You'd probably say something more brutal, I would imagine, in practice. Like, no, I was nice though. I would never be mean to them. I would, I would just, um, I'd be more encouraging than like bossy. I would just say like, oh, like you're doing a great job. And then if I noticed um, their technique was off or something could have been improved, I would have like um, told them in that way. Okay. Well, I mean, that's interesting. Like, do you like positive reinforcement or like negative reinforcement? So it looks like positive, like more your thing. Um, I like a little bit of both. I don't want someone always like uh, being negative towards me because then it would be a little bit discouraging. But I also don't want someone to always be positive and like sugarcoat it. Um, I think it would push me more just hearing like the brutal truth. Yeah, I mean, I think there's one Russian coach. There was a there was a guy that was only deadlifting like 600, and he was a guy from the states. And he, I think the Russian coach said some, something like, "Oh, you deadlift 600? Do you enjoy being weak?" I was like, "Oh, damn." <laughs> yeah, like I don't want someone saying that to me because then I'll be really discouraged and I probably won't ever lift again. No, I wouldn't. I would still lift, but I mean, that's definitely a, a little bit of both. That's probably the problem with today's youth. I mean, if something gets a little bit hard, then they'll be like, uh, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And they'll just quit. I mean, I think it's like, I don't know, it's going to take away from here. It's like quitting is a lot worse than grinding through hard practices, like quitting and just like going home and just doing nothing. Like, yeah, I could never quit. Though. If, if you really want something, you'll like, you'll work through it. You won't quit. Yeah. Quitting is the worst. Cause once you quit, then you're like, Oh wow. I regret, like you'll probably end up regretting it anyway. Yeah. There was actually one day after, um, a track meet, I had a really bad race and I kind of like went up to my teammate and I was like, I think I'm going to quit. And I like said, I, the next day I like thought about it. I was like, wow, like after one race, like you want to quit, like what kind of a mindset is that? So I like had to like snap myself out of it. Um, just cause it's one bad meet doesn't mean it's going to be a bad career. You know, you just work harder at the practice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all, it's all about dealing with adversity because you, you see that person on the top of the podium, with a gold medal around their neck. Like you just see that, you know, 
them crying, you know, emotional. They're so happy for themselves. And like, you don't ever see, you know, the 5 a.m. workouts, the, the occasional injury, the maybe like tragedy in their life hit and they still have to train through it. And, you know, it's just, it's a lot of that, you know, being able to fight through the, the hardships. And most people, when they see one hardship, they just, they just drop it, which kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I was like kind of mad at myself for even thinking about quitting because it was something I was so passionate about. Um, I think I would, I would regret it if I ever gave that up. And I'm really glad that I stuck with it. I mean, some people say just out of impulse and like sometimes, I mean, I, I knew someone that when I was on the wrestling team, they always told me they were going to quit and they just never did it. I was like, why do you keep saying it then? It's, it's so weird. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Anyway, next question here. Doug Castro, how do you deal with the, the that's bad form internet trolls? Um, so I've never actually had someone comment, um, oh, like that's bad form or like, oh, you didn't get depth on my posts. But there was one time, this was like um, when I first started out lifting, I, I think I put up like a maybe a squat video and my friend like sent me a personal message and was like, Hey, like, um, instead of doing this, you can do this. So it wasn't really like an internet troll. Like he meant, he meant well when he said it and he truly wanted like me to improve. Um, and he didn't want me to get injured from, you know, squatting the wrong way. So that's the only thing that I've ever gotten. I've never really gotten someone commenting hate on my posts. Um, if anything, it's me like looking at the videos and saying like, wow, like your form looks like garbage. Really? But yeah, yeah. I'm like very um, self-critical. I like, mean, you have to be in, in powerlifting, you have to be, but like, not like, you have to celebrate your own like accomplishments. At, like you can't always be like, oh damn, I, I hit a PR. Well, you know, look, look at that rounded back. Like, but it is like shit form or like something like that. But like social media is weird now obviously because uh you look at any top lifter they're always going to be like weird people in the comment section and like it's weird because you can you can now hide behind a screen and there's no consequences to what you say no matter how effed up it is like you can say whatever you want i mean and it's up to, like it's up to the, the person of the account maybe just like to delete the, the comment and that's basically the worst thing that might happen but People write some nasty stuff, but like, so yeah, there's some powerlifters that I see with like um, a really big arch, and I, sometimes I'll like look at the comments and they're saying like, "Oh, like you're cheating," like, "Oh, where's the range of motion on that?" And I'm like, "Well, that's the point. Like, you want to decrease range of motion." Um, so I guess people that don't really powerlift, they wouldn't understand that that's the reason why that they're. Um, arching so much and it's the same thing with like sumo deadlift a lot that gets a lot of hate as well everyone's like um sumo's cheating you should be only pulling conventional yeah i mean the, i can understand the sumo deadlift one because we have like strong men and strong men they can only pull conventional and like the current heaviest deadlift in the in the world by the mountain it was conventional so I can see where they're coming from. They're like, yeah, you're just reducing the range of motion and you're cheating. Bench arching is a, I guess the same, but like, it's like good up to a point. Like sometimes I see, you know, Sean, like Sean Noriega, right? He has, yeah. 
one of the most insane. I knew you were gonna bring him up. And like, it's cool. He can bench. What is? What can he bench press? Like close to six hundred or something? I'm not sure, but yeah, but it's, it's something insane. But like, I know a lot of people that told me, "Yo, Sean Noriega, like even like fellow powerlifters, they're like, yo, that dude's a clown. Like, come on, you can't be arching that hard." But like, if it's legal in competition, yeah, you know, it's like a, it's just like it's a part of the game, you know. Yeah. And it's impressive that he's able to get in that position anyway. Like, his spine. Yeah, I, I can't do that. I'm still working on my um, arch. And, well, a good arch will protect your shoulders anyway. You're not supposed to bench press with a completely flat back. That's that's not smart. Yeah. I mean, I had this incident where I was spotting this one guy. I mean, he's probably listening right now. But he was <laughs> – while he was setting up his arch and going for a PR bench press, this random old guy comes over and be like, hey, guys, I, just, I know you guys know what you're doing. But uh, I don't think you should arch. And I'm just like, hey man, can you like be quiet? I'm trying to spot my friend here. <laughs> He's about to go for something heavy. Yeah, unsolicited uh, advice from old men at the gym. Can't stand that. I mean, usually I'll see old men do that to like girls. It's the weirdest thing. They'll never say it to me, but they always say it to girls. It's, it's strange. Like I've seen this girl doing rack pulls, right? And she was banging the waist really hard. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, she's having a good workout. And then this old guy was like, um, why is she making so much noise? You don't expect that from a girl. And I was like, uh, wow. Okay. I mean, <laughs> that's a little weird. But yeah, I mean, I know, I know pe- people that have, that have dealt with that, but it's fine. Yeah. Anyway, the last question here, tweak Zeke. Uh, biggest goal you've accomplished in the biggest uh you have yet to set um powerlifting wise i would have to say when i deadlifted 315 i was really happy about that um i actually did it on my birthday too it was like a nice little birthday gift to myself um overall i would honestly have to say the marathon that was a really big achievement um and the biggest goal i've yet to set I really want to hit four plates for deadlift. So 405 deadlift. and Yeah. I mean, that's like a long-term goal. I don't know how long it will take for me to get there, but I know I'm not going to stop until I get there. You've only been powerlifting for a month, right? Yes. And you've hit uh, Officially a month. I hired my coach. Yeah, I don't think 405 is that far behind. Like, just with one month of training with 315, like you, like, when did you hire your coach? Uh, beginning of August, end of July, around there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know him, but like, I'm pretty sure he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he and definitely does. Like with, with proper programming, you'll like four or five should, like 315 to four or five, it's not that big of a, I mean, it's a difference, but like it, with proper programming, it's, it should be easy. Because people don't realize, like, once you get the technique down, especially sumo, like, sumo is very technical. Once you get, like, the sumo technique down, like, you could pull, like, so much more. It's insane. Yeah, and the 315 was before I was even programmed. That was kind of just me, like, messing around in the gym. Okay. Well, you pull mixed grip, right? Yeah, I do. You ever, you ever think of pulling hook, hook grip? 
I actually didn't know what hookup was until two weeks ago. Um, I like saw like a, a post on Instagram and it was something about tucking your thumb in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like, what is that? And it was hook rip. And my coach actually mentioned it a couple of weeks prior. And I kind of just like brushed it off. I'm like, yeah, like I know how to hook rip. I thought it was just like wrapping your thumb around like normal. And then I saw the picture and I was like, oh, maybe I don't know what hook rip is. Um, but he said he was going to teach me. So I, I might throw that into some of my training and try it out. Yeah. I mean, obviously when you first try it, it's going to be absolute hell. Like the pain of like, the bar pushing against your, I mean, cause yeah, you tuck your thumb in and you, you wrap your fingers around and like, obviously the biggest thing is the pain. Cause when you start, oh, pushing, no. literally, literally all the weight is on your thumb and obviously, you know, you, you grow calluses on your thumbs, you, you're going to deaden the nerves eventually. But when you first try it, it, it's hell. It's so bad. What would you um recommend? Would you recommend putting like, tape on your thumb or just like pushing through it and just using chalk uh tape is weird because i've seen people lift with i mean i've only seen olympic lifters use uh uh tape when they do their like heavy snatches heavy clean and jerks but like i rarely see like even the best deadlifters in the world that pull hook grip and they're pulling like 900 pounds i've never seen them with with tape I mean, tape won't reduce the pain that much. I mean, I guess it'll re- like reduce the risk of like a callus tear. I mean, at most, but like the pain will still be there. Okay, so That's just a- go for it. Yeah, just go for it. I mean, the, the good thing about hook grip is like you're not like because mixed grip, you will get a, like a little bit of an imbalance in your muscles just because like one one hand one arm is supinated, one one arm is like a is not supinated. Yeah. And like pulling hook grip is like you're even, you know, both hands are in the same same position and you just pull. But yeah, hook grip is definitely something you should work on. It's I mean, I'm not your coach, but No, he's he's mentioned it, so I'll have to talk to him about it and have him teach me how to do it. All right. Well, I think that ends the QA segment. Uh yeah, I mean, I did this segment pretty last minute, but hey they they got some pretty good questions in. Anyway, back to our discussion. Uh, so as a Division three athlete, what was the best thing about being a, a college athlete? I think just the community. Um, going to practice with everyone for five or six days a week. Um, you really just build such a strong um connection with these people and they become your best friends from it and there's a handful of people that i still talk to today um i talk to them every day and they're my best friends so really it's just the friendships that you form i think that's what i appreciate the most about being a part of the team yeah just the camaraderie because like you you like you like suffer together right like all those hard practices yeah yeah, me and my friend Doug, we would always wake up at the same time, I think like 6.30 to go to like 7 a.m. practice. And we would just go to battle at practice when I, when I was a 400 runner for like a very short period of time. 400 run, that's like one lap, right? Yeah. Okay. 
so let's see. So as what are you going to take from your college athletic experience into powerlifting? Like what in it is going to improve your lifting, you think? I think my mindset will definitely carry over. Um, like what I was saying before, you know, after you, if you have a, one bad throw, you still have two more attempts. So really it's just resetting and giving it your all for every single uh, attempt. Yeah, uh, there's this thing in powerlifting, uh, at least I like to call it, we call it short-term memory. If you miss an attempt on the platform, just forget about it right there. Forget about it. Just never think about it again. Just focus on your next attempt that's, that's coming up. Like, like just reset and go at it. Yeah, because when you replay it in your head, it, it, just, it just, like you spiral. You know, you, you replay it over and over and over and, and you just... I mean, people like to ask the referees what I did, like what they did wrong or something. And I just feel like just, just whatever your coach says, just follow what they have, what they, what they say and attack it on the next attempt. Right. Uh, let's see. So you've only been only powerlifting for a month anyway, but like what, what have you liked so, so, so far? Like the best thing about powerlifting? I think just the confidence that I've built in myself. I mean, I've always been like a confident person, but I think um, really pushing my limits and seeing what I'm capable of has just made me look at myself in such a different light um, and the way that I carry myself. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you, if you set a goal, um, obviously you get uh, the weird people, the haters, and be like, um, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that. But once once you achieve it and you set more goals and you keep achieving it people will start to be like wow i think this person's legit legit you know they'll just i mean i'm pretty sure you've seen this on instagram like the post where it's like first they'll they'll like mock you then they'll disrespect you then they'll respect like eventually once they start seeing the results then they'll start to respect you because i remember when i first started lifting everyone was like dude you're gonna hurt your back you're whatever whatever the stupid myths are right and eventually i started making stupid like crazy progress and then the, the same guy that told me i was going to destroy my health in powerlifting started asking me for powerlifting tips and that was the weirdest day ever i was just like weren't you the guy that said i was gonna mess up my back and he's like nah bro no no that wasn't me i, I want to learn how to deadlift yeah for one of my favorite books, uh, Ego is the Enemy, I think one quote that really stuck out to me, it was, um, you're the least important person in the room until you prove otherwise through your work. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, I kind of walk into the gym, I try to be humble and just, you know, put my head down, go to work. And through that hard work, hopefully it'll bring me success. So before you actually committed yourself to powerlifting did you ever like dabble in other stuff because i know before powerlifting i really wanted to be a bodybuilder like did you ever like go be like oh maybe i want to be like a physique competitor uh, so i never thought about being a physique competitor um i was more just doing it um for myself and for the health i wasn't really lifting to look um to look to uh compete on stage it was just kind of like a um hobby of mine and then it kind of transitioned to, oh, well, like, I want to lift heavier weights and, um. Yeah, I mean, 
did you use that? Did you use um, lift powerlifting as an outlet? Because I know like a lot of people when when they end their college careers, they they get lost and then then they eventually find something. I mean, eventually some people they find powerlifting, but was that your case? Um, so after I graduated, I was just lifting for fun. Um, I wasn't even like thinking about powerlifting. And then that's when I kind of got into the marathon training. Um, and then after that, just back to regular lifting for about two years. Um, and then, yeah, up until two months ago, I really started considering powerlifting as an outlet. So it's fairly new hobby. Yeah, I mean, there's no, no better feeling than dropping the bar after you, you hit a PR. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so throughout this whole like track career and your short time in powerlifting, like who has been your number one supporter? Um, I'd have to say my best friend, Kara. She's always been very supportive of whatever goals I put my mind to. Um, she's the one that ran the marathon with me. Um, she's crazy enough to run it with me. No one else wanted to do it. And she's been there for every, um, every goal that I like put my mind to, um, even like, just like the small things. Like if I like post on Instagram, she's always like hyping me up mm. and stuff like that. So I can always count on her to really support me. And she's really looking forward to my, uh, first competition coming up. She like set a reminder. Oh, that's right. So you signed up for a competition, which one? Um, it's called Halloween Havoc 3. It's October 24th and it's gonna be like Halloween themed. So that's like mainly why I picked it just cause I love Halloween so much. Is it a, what federation? Uh, USAPL. Wow, USAPL first meet, huh? That's gonna be crazy cause I know most federations, they use uh, deadlift bars. And this one does not. They use a uh, yeah. stiff bar, which uh, kind of sucks. But, like, I mean, have you ever used a deadlift bar? Yeah. My friend, he bought a um, Texas deadlift bar. And it's really nice to um, – that's what I was using for um, during quarantine, during our garage gym lift. So I kind of got accustomed to that. So when I first went back to the gym, it was kind of like a shock. Like, oh, like I have to like start using a stiff bar because that's what I'd be using in competition. Yeah, and you're using a combo rack. Uh, the thing about combo racks is like they, the, the bar moves so easily because like it's on a roller, like the bar. And like uh, I know in like a regular power rack in a commercial gym, the bar does not move at all. Like once it's like set in like a, in, the, in the J cups, unless you really like push it around. But like, I know I, I had to stabilize weight like that. I couldn't, I couldn't stabilize like my squat properly using a combo rack. And it was just, it was just weird. But I, yeah, that's one thing to keep in mind. Like the bar literally like, it's like sliding on ice. It's weird. It's so weird. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, same, same for bench press. I think too, they, they have like a fat pad. Um, I'm not sure if this meat is going to use a fat pad, but fat pad was a shock to me too. But how, how do you feel before your first meet? How, how, how far out are you? I'm six weeks out right now. Um, I, it hasn't really like mentally set in. Um, I'm kind of just like still going through the motions of like um, training. 
but I think when I'm like two weeks out, that's really when it's gonna hit me like, oh, like this is like really happening. Um, so right now I'm like, I'm not really overthinking it. I'm kind of just like going in every day with a new mindset and just putting in the work that needs to be done. I think it really kicks in once you go to the weigh-ins. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, because when you, you see the rack and you're like, oh damn, tomorrow, well, I mean, when, when, is, when are the weigh-ins? Like the day before or the same day? Uh, I'm not sure I'll have to check on that, but I would think like the day before or uh, the morning of. Okay, the morning of is like not that bad, but like the day before, like you're in that um, environment, you're like checking it out and you're just like, holy moly, I'm going to be lifting here. There's going to be like hundreds of people over there. And you just, you just gonna, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a shock, but like, yeah, I mean, wait, you weigh in and I mean, I, I had, I couldn't sleep the night before my first meet because I was like just thinking about like the environment just like oh my god I'm gonna I'm gonna lift in front of hundreds of people like if I fail it's it's gonna be everywhere you know yeah and a lot of my friends said that they want to go so I'm really excited to you know let them see me compete um because some of my friends they don't go to the same gym as me so they have like no idea what I'm doing so this will be really the first time that they're seeing me um lift so I know with powerlifting, you, you talked about uh, the misconceptions of lifting before. Um, do you think um, you lifting will get a lot more like girls into powerlifting? Do you hope to inspire more? I think so. I definitely want to inspire others. Um, I mean, whatever goals they're chasing, whatever they're passionate about, um, if I can inspire them to just keep at it, you know, whatever hardships you face, don't let it... Um, take away from why you started in the first place. So if they want to get into powerlifting, um, that's definitely a mindset they're going to need because there's going to be days where you're supposed to hit like an RPE six and it's going to feel like an RPE 10, but um, you just have to reset and keep at it. Just be consistent and work hard and you'll get there. For sure. Um, I think, that was the whole podcast episode. Uh, thank you for being on. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. All right, guys. That was episode 40 of our World of Lifting podcast. Peace out. <laughs>